Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Stephen Simon. Stephen produced such movies as the Academy Award-winning movie What Dreams May Come and Somewhere in Time as well as producing and directing the film version of Conversations with God. He has co-authored his latest book, What Dreams Have Come, Loving Through the Veil, with his wife, Lauren, after she transitioned to the other side of the veil. And today we're going to talk about that and more. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Hey, Jeff. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. You are not only a visionary in spiritual cinema, but you also coined the term. Can you tell us how you got involved in this subject of filmmaking? Oh, sure. Um, that may take us the whole hour. Um, <laughs> I had my first experience with the other side when I was about five or six years old. Hmm. Um, my birth father had suddenly died. My mother remarried. We moved houses, we we're in another house, and I started experiencing what I told my parents was a man in the wall at night. And I kept saying, there's a man in my wall at night. And they said, are you scared? And I said, no, no, he, he's wonderful. I love him. Well, it was a long time later, but I realized that was my dad um, who had you know been there to comfort me. And growing up, I loved movies like The Ghost of Mrs. Muir and Lost Horizons and It's a Wonderful Life and films like that. And I got into the film industry after I read the book that Somewhere in Time was based on. The book was called Bid Time Return by Richard Matheson. I read that book. I was a practicing lawyer. I never got it right, but I practiced. And I got out as quickly as I could, got a job with a fabulous film producer named Ray Stark. First thing I did was ask that the agent to set me up with the writer. And I said, I haven't produced anything yet, but I want this to be my first film. Will you wait for me? And he shook hands. Three years later, we made Somewhere in Time. He then gave me the galleys for his next novel, which was What Dreams May Come. And that started a 20-year journey to get What Dreams May Come. So this has always fascinated me. It's always been the area that I loved in films. Some people call it fantasy. Um, I call it visionary because I do believe that some of these films, a lot of these films do give us a glimpse and sometimes more than that as to what the experience afterlife might be. And I've always found that fascinating. So that was all background. And then on uh, January 3rd, 2018, I came home from an early workout at the gym and my wife was um, still asleep. Lauren, from the time we met, uh, we met in a movie theater just by chance, quote unquote. And I took one look at her and she took one look at me. And we had both had two very unsuccessful marriages before that had both sworn we would never, ever, ever get married again. 
And I, it was like, oh, there she is. That's, that's who I came, that's who I came for. And she had the same feeling. So Lauren is, uh, was, and always will be um, my interwoven soul. I came home uh, to find that she had transitioned suddenly in her sleep. And by the time I found her, she had been gone for a while because I thought she was just sleeping late and she wasn't. And it, like anybody in those situations and like a lot of your viewers and listeners, um, that just shatters you. And I was completely shattered for a very long time. I remember very little of the first year or two, um, some, but a few weeks into it, Lauren got in touch with me and we had talked about this when she was still physical. Lauren, um, is and was a channel. Um, she was very sensitive to all of this, very spiritual. She helped a lot of people with a lot of different issues. She was a therapist. She believed deeply in spirituality. We shared the same spirituality to the point where at one point she said, hey, honey, we need to design what we want our afterlife to be like. And she channeled a whole thing. And she said, please write all this down so that we can have that. When that happened and when Lauren finally got in touch with me and I won't, we, we talk about that in the book, so I'm not going to go into all the details of it now, but when she did get in touch with me, it began to change everything because I knew it was Lauren. I felt it in my heart. I heard her words in my heart. People have said to me, well, talk to me about the communication. You know, how, what was it like? And I said, well, if you're asking me, did I hear her voice? The answer is, with my ears and my brain? No, because her body no longer existed. And that voice would have had, that voice would have had to have come from her body. But I felt her words in my heart, like verbatim. And maybe we can get into this more later, but I do believe that there is a separate language of the heart that is completely different from the language that we get from this computer we have up here. And the heart, <laughs> there was a wonderful movie years ago that had a line in it, which is the, the heart is a mysterious organ. It plays by its own rules. And I have always been led by my heart. And when Lauren and I started communicating and I knew that it was her and I knew it was her sense of humor and I knew that she was there, it was extraordinary for me. And then um, I had an event, which again, we talk about in the book with my dear friend, Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote the Conversations with God books. I had an experience with him and his wife in which it became very, very clear to me that Lauren and I were gonna write a book together. And that was about nine months after she transitioned and we started the book and it's out there now. Without giving out Without giving away too much of the book, can you give us a little bit of your first contact with Laura after she transitioned? Sure. Yeah. So it, 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 when you think about the fact that I have spent my life basically as a film producer and TV, um, the way we first got in contact makes great sense. So the first six weeks, we had talked about how to make contact. We had talked about that she would... One of us would get to the other. Um, consciously, I think we both believed it was going to be me because I was 17 years um, older uh, than Lauren at that time. And right now she takes great delight in saying to me, honey, now it's 20 and it's just going to keep expanding. <laughs> um, 
We thought it was going to be me, but it wasn't. And I had faith that, that she would eventually find a way to contact me. Um, I have some dear friends who are mediums, one in particular, who said to me, you know, look, she was very disoriented when she crossed over. She didn't even know she was there. She thought she was still asleep and she thought she was dreaming. It took her a while. Well, one night I'm watching a television series and um, things that I had recorded and the show was over and I never stay around for previews of next week um, uh, or anything like that. And I was about to turn it off and I immediately heard Lauren's voice in my heart saying, honey, watch the end credits. And I was startled. And then, of course, I immediately thought that I had imagined it or I was just making it up to comfort myself, which is something that I know that people who have this kind of contact, we go through that a lot in the beginning. Is this real? Or is this just something I'm creating to comfort myself? And I, I didn't know what to do, but I was like, okay, I'll watch the end credits. And immediately I knew why, because it had a very special song that was um, very important to us. Um, you know the song, it's been, oh, oh girl, things are gonna get better, things are gonna get easier. You know that song, it was a very special song for us. It has a great message in it. And I knew it was her. And that began our dialogue with us going back and forth about things. Um, I also want to say, and I, I know that a lot of your audience understands this because they're experiencing it as well. She is very, she was very funny. had a great sense of humor in life, but my goodness, her sense of humor is even more so now that she's on the other side. And we still spend most of our time laughing at me, which is basically what we did when she was alive. So it kind of changed everything around for me. And that began a great, great dialogue that goes on to this day. There's something that you said that I really liked. And I've had so many guests and every few guests or so, there's something that I pick up. And one thing that you pointed out was that she does not have a body anymore. She's not going to have a voice through her body anymore. And I think some of my other guests will say that when they contact loved ones or when loved ones contact them, that it's kind of like a hearingness, a knowingness within their own mind or, or body. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, of course. And I, you know, look, there's a lot of different feelings about this. And I, one of the things that if anyone has seen What Dreams May Come knows is that in that film, we made it very clear that you experience your afterlife in a, in a setting that is unique to you. And I passionately believe and hope that that is true. You know, these are things that we have to believe. And I've said this before, and I'll say it to you and to your audience. Can I 100% guarantee anybody that everything that has gone on between Laura, Lauren and I is real? No, I can't. I can't. If I'm honest, I can't. There is one-tenth of one percent, in my opinion, possibility that I've made all this up. And this is what Neil, who wrote Conversations with God, talked to me about a lot when we were prepping that movie. And he said to me, for the first year or two, I thought for sure I was a fraud. I thought for sure I was making this up. I, I didn't, 
But then it came to me and I didn't know what I should do. And and then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, I really feel this is true. Now I actually know that it's true. This is about belief. It's not about science. It's not about fact. It's not about going up to the top of your roof and dropping off a rock and knowing that it'll fall. This is about our belief systems. But I think that's also a part of the magic because I do believe that we can create our own afterlife setting. That is what we did in What Dreams May Come, for sure. That was a very conscious part of that. And I do believe that it follows your beliefs in life. Because I do not understand for the life of me, while we are having this human experience, how we all have very different lives, very different belief systems, very different religions, very different aspects of spirituality. All of that is part of the human experience and the human melting pot. And then we die and then we cross over and we go to a uniform experience. That doesn't make any sense at all to me. And it doesn't make sense to my heart. So what I believe is that we do experience the afterlife according to our beliefs. And I think that is a, as Oprah said, there are many pathways to God. And as you and I know, there are many names for God. And that has certainly been part of my experience with Lauren. So whose idea was it to write the book, yours or Lauren's? (laughs) Okay. So I, now I guess I should really say this story because when I went and had dinner with Neil and his wife, M in Ashland, um, which is about four hours south of where I live, which is uh, right outside of Portland, Oregon. Um, a couple of things that are important to know. Number one, Ashland, it was the end of September of 2018. Ashland had not seen any measurable rain in about six months. It was having going through a terrible drought. So I had dinner with Neil and M, and we're sitting there. And of course, they're asking me how I'm feeling. And I said, you know, I'm I'm writing a lot of things down on yellow pads, Neil. And he laughed (laughs) and he said, well, that sounds familiar. And I said, yeah. And I I, honestly, I'm wondering if this is going to be a book. At that point, the entire sky outside the restaurant lit up with a lightning strike. Check. Anybody wants to check this, they're welcome to do it. September 28th, 2018. Um, And Neil and I and M haven't stopped talking about it since. And we were all startled. And then Neil said, and I know what the title should be, another lightning strike. And I said, what? And he said, what dreams have come, Stephen? I mean, what could it be called other than that? Another lightning strike. And I said, you know what? You're right. You're right. I need to write the book, another lightning strike. And then he's, and then I said, wow, Lauren and I are going to write this together because I think she may have whispered in my ear, what about me, honey? (laughs) And it was five lightning strikes. We were just amazed at how that happened. And Lauren very quickly after um, I got alone after that and went back to where I was staying, said to me, that wasn't me, honey. And we talk about this in the book. I can't do that, (laughs) but it's a great message. Let's get going. Let's start. And we started to write the book. I had another guest before tell me that when people were contacting him and told him to trying to communicate through him, he would just sit and write. And it wasn't like he was writing. It was just 
it was like he was a conduit. He just started just right, 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 right. Is that what happened with you? Oh, absolutely. And I, I kept all of my original notes, um, some of which are pretty close to illegible. Um, some of a lot of which are legible, but are, it was absolutely just trying to write down what I was getting, what I was hearing from her, what I was feeling from her, um, and and to kind of get hit the high points. Uh, there's a whole chapter in the book about her humor, um, which, uh, as I said, was extraordinary and and has even gotten sharper since then. Um, it's one of the things that I, I think that people who are having this experience, and I want to be very clear about this. This is not what, what, what we're experiencing is not rare. Now, it's not every day, but it's not rare. There are millions and millions and millions of people alive in the world today that are having this experience. But it has been my perception and it has been reinforced to me by the emails that I've gotten from people that most people or a lot of people who are having this experience are afraid to talk about it because they think their friends and family will believe that they're crazy, that they've lost all touch with so-called reality. And we could do a whole other hour on what really is reality. Right. Um, but they, they're afraid of doing that. And one of the reasons that uh, we wrote this is that if you look at my life, going back to, my experience with my dad, how I got in the film business, somewhere in time, what dreams may come, conversations with God. I made another little movie called Indigo, co-founded the Spiritual Cinema Circle, which we operated for 16 years, which sent out spiritual movies. This was my life. So there's there's, there's no accident to the fact that we have written this book together because one of the reasons that I personally am involved in it is that I'm, I'm hoping that people will be, well, look, Stephen's had a pretty good career. He's had a pretty interesting life out there. He's willing to say this himself, man, then I need to talk about this. Why can't I talk about it? Why can't I admit this to my friends? And if they think I'm crazy, then they're not really my friends. You know, they have to accept me for what I am. So a lot of this is to inspire people, hopefully lift people up and let them know that this type of thing is possible. You know, it's not a mainstream book. (laughs) It was never meant to be a mainstream book. Um, I'm not interested in changing anybody's mind about these things because I don't think you can. But the book is written, it's a love story. It's a wonderful love story between us, but it's also written by how you do these kinds of communications. And what is reality? When you say, you know, we don't have a body. Well, We may not have a human body, but we may, or it may be something similar to it, somewhat depends on whether or not we're all avatars. And um, that's a whole other thing that we go into in the book, which is, you know, what is reality? And a lot of quotes from Albert Einstein um, about that subject. So that's basically the general idea of the book. What things did you learn from here that you realized you had the wrong idea of what it was like on the other side? Oh, boy. Great question. No one's ever asked me that question before. What was I wrong about? Well, I have to tell you, I can't think of anything where I had 
a very definitive idea of what it was like um, that, that I have found out is completely untrue because it's just such a great question, Jeff. And I think that's because of the fact that I do believe that we all create these things. We create our reality in life. You know, that which you expect becomes your world. And I believe that that is the case in the afterlife. I think it's pretty basically what I expected and hoped it to be, which was helped a great deal by my wife being an extraordinary intuitive and channel and medium and really beginning to give me a very distinct sense of what that was. So it it wound up being pretty consistent with what I thought it would be. But I, th- that is a question that is going to stay with me. And if I if if something occurs to me, or if Lauren says to me, "Hey, honey, what about this?" I'll be back in touch. I promise. Oh, great. Well, <laughs> well what about this? <laughs> <laughs> How much different has Lauren described over there? Is it from the movie? What dreams may come? Not much. Hmm. Not much. Now, it's not a painted world um, because that was very specific to the characters in Dreams, but it's not all that dissimilar to what we depicted, at least in our experience. I think other people have a very different experience of that. And I, again, I don't want to make a universal comment about it. From my interpretation of the movie, if you decide to end your life, you end up in hell and it appears you can't get out, although his love helped her to get out. Is that correct? And if so, do you think that's the way it is on the other side? That is, oh, this is great. Again, thank you for asking a question that no one has asked yet. And I was really hoping somebody would eventually ask me that question. So thank you. The whole concept of people who successfully commit suicide, having a different initial experience, came from the author's research over many years of cultures all over the world, all of whom have, no, almost all of whom have a sense that if you take your own life, you are interrupting the natural flow that you are supposed to be able to follow here. And instead of solving your problems, you just extend them. Now, it's so interesting that you say that about the film. Because every time we would preview that film for an audience, and I mean every time, people would have pitched arguments out in the lobby out about that aspect of the film. And if you look at the film very carefully, We knew that from the beginning. And Cuba, Gooding, his character, makes it very clear to Robin that this is something that Annie chose. She chose this because she knew she needed to evolve in some way, to experience something. The the experience where she is, is of her own choosing. And I will tell you, now that you brought this up, the week after the film opened, which was October of uh, 1998, I was at a friend's birthday party. 
And um, he, it was in Ojai, California, and it was had about 50, 60 people in the room. And at one point, <laughs> he said, as he likes to do with his friends, hey, any of you seen this new movie, What Dreams May Come Yet? And at that point, he's lucky I didn't have a sharp object near me. Um, and, he, and he said, well, and a bunch of people raised their hand and there was this murmur. And he said, well, Steven's the producer. He's right over there. Why don't you go talk to him? <laughs> the first person that came up to me, very nice guy, actually, Jeff, looked a little like you. Okay, really. And when I think about this, he actually looked a little like you. Very nice guy. Very, you know, you can tell from him just talking to you. This is a nice person. And he said, oh, I, listen, I saw this movie with a friend of mine and she knows that I live in the L.A. area. And she said, if you ever meet anybody involved in that film, would you please send them a message for me? And I thought, oh, boy, here it comes. And, I, and I, he said, so can I tell you? And I said, sure. And he looked at me very blandly and said, she wants you to know that you are an inhuman monster. And he had the greatest comedic timing. There was this little pause. And then he said, now, I hope you don't take that personally. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how you take inhuman monster, not personally. But I knew exactly what she was saying because she thought the way you, she thought we had said the way you actually asked the question, which is suicides going to hell and things like that. And if you look at somewhere in time, at what dreams may come, we do not say that. We are very careful not to say that. I would never be a part of something that would tell people who have lost loved ones to suicide that they've gone to hell. What a horrid, that would make me an inhuman monster. I don't believe that. And, I, and the movie doesn't say that. But as Cuba says in the movie, basically we see what we want to see. And there are people that saw it that way. Well, thanks for clearing that up. You bet. Thank you for letting me clear that up. Oh, sure. What has Lauren told you about concepts such as pre-birth planning and soul contracts? We haven't discussed either one. Mm, all right. You know, it, it's interesting what the interaction between Lauren and I is about basically Lauren and I. Her experience, which I get a few glimpses of. All right. I, I, I still am having trouble figuring out how to put what I'm about to say into the proper words, because I think, again, this is heart language and it's not as susceptible to words, but there are only certain things that Lauren can talk to me about without crossing a line. There is a line. She seems to know where that line is. I don't really, because I'm not there, but she seems to know where that line is. And she, when Lauren appears to let me know that she's here, although she has let me know often that she doesn't always let me know that she's here, that she does quick drive-bys and quick drop-ins to check on me and to check on the kids and when she does, there is a tell. Um, it's a very personal tell for the two of us. It is, it involves sound waves. 
which is any more than I'm all I'm going to say about it because I, I don't want to talk about it exactly because it's very personal to us. There is a change in the air density. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a hard, a harder time. I yawn a lot when, when, when Lauren is um, around because um, I need more oxygen. It's not uncomfortable, but I, I, there's, there's, when she's here, I'm very conscious. And when she wants me to know that she's here, I'm very conscious that she's here. And she does energy work, which she did when she was physical, with me. And sometimes in the past, I have said, honey, what are you doing? And she would just say, I'm doing what I'm doing. Just let me do it. And I think that's part of what part of this dividing line that I'm still a human, only human. I have a spiritual side of me for sure, but you know, I'm still a part of this zeitgeist. And there are certain things that we just, I think, can't know until we're on the other side. So we don't actually talk about those kinds of philosophical things. We, t- we really talk a lot now like we did when she was physical about the kids, about our lives, about the book, about my life, about what's going on with this, about what's going on with that. And um, we don't talk about the big general things because I'm not really sure she can or she doesn't feel that she can. You mentioned earlier that you expected to be the one to transition before she did because of your age. Since she did transition before you, did you feel any guilt about that? And if so, did she help you alleviate that? Oh, my goodness. No. Oh, boy, I have to tell you, Jeff, there's some of these great. These are great questions that I have not been asked before. You know, I never felt any guilt. At all. Um, I was aware and became more and more aware, and I will discuss this with you. And I have no one's ever asked me this question before, so I haven't said this before. But Lauren and I have talked about that aspect of it and the fact that she was there. And if you believe, as we believe, that we choose our lives carefully before we're born, that In our case, Lauren and I, our relationship goes back a very long time and at least a millennia or two. Now, it's not it is not every lifetime, but we've been together a lot. So we know each other really, really well. I mean, really, really well. And Lauren and I, when this life was designed argued about who would be here and who wouldn't be because we both knew that the person who was on the other side would be completely fine. And the person here would be grieving. And I did not want Lauren to be that. She did not want me to be that. And basically all Lauren has said was, you won. I'm not sure you won fair, but you won. <laughs> and so I'm here. I have not. And I'll tell you something else, Jeff. You know, we all have our issues in life. 
Um, I had two very unsuccessful marriages before I met Lauren. Um, in both cases, I felt extremely abandoned. I had a lot of abandonment issues in my life. I would say that was probably my number one emotional issue was abandonment and fear of abandonment. After my dad died when I was young and my sister got married and moved away and I loved her. So I just felt a lot of abandonment. And interestingly enough, from the minute that happened, I never, ever, ever felt abandoned. Even when I couldn't contact Lauren, I knew I would. And I had no doubt that eventually we would be back together again on the same side of the veil. So I never felt that sense of, oh my God, I have these abandonment issues and now this has happened. And this actually cured me of that in a completely counterintuitive way. That's amazing. If you don't mind, you mentioned that your father died when you were young. And I read in your bio that Frank Sinatra became your godfather. Can you comment a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. Um, Amazing experience. So my birth father was a producer and a director in the 1940s. Um, He basically made comedies. Uh, He directed movies with the Marx Brothers. um, With uh, Abbott and Costello, he did a, a couple of movies with them. And his best friend was Red Skelton. And he made Fuller Brushman and a bunch of movies that made Red a star. He then became an executive at Columbia Pictures under the tyrannical Harry Cohn, which is a whole other story. And he bought a book for Columbia to make called From Here to Eternity, which was a huge hit book, 1951, probably 52, something like that. And he was preparing to produce it and oversee it for the studio. He had always been a very big Frank Sinatra fan. And he read something in the book. Uh, This was all, this is all basically public knowledge and was confirmed to be my, my parents and my friends of my dad's and stuff like that. And he called Sinatra and Sinatra told me this. He called Sinatra, who was at that time really down on his luck. You know, Frank had been a big, big, Bobby Sox Idol in the 40s, but he had made a couple of really bad films and he hemorrhaged his vocal cords and he couldn't sing for a while. And he was really worried about his career. And dad said, there's a part of Maggio. It's perfect for you. I'm going to send you the book. I hope you'll do it. Sinatra called him and said, you're right. This is the best thing for me. And dad cast him in the film. Whereupon he got called into Harry Cohn's office and was told, you cannot hire Sinatra. And um, there was a personal aspect to this, uh, which we all found out later uh, centered around Kim Novak. And we won't go into any more details. Um, And he said, I don't care. He's not getting the part. He doesn't work at this studio. Begin to sound a little familiar, Jeff? Oh, yeah. Um, Because that was based on a true story, which we'll get to in a second. So my father said, well, Perry, if if I have to take this away from him, my my credibility will be completely destroyed in this town. I may as well quit. And Harry said, good, quit. And my dad did. 
And he went and called Sinatra and told him what happened. No, a horse was not decapitated. Mm. But Harry owned a great racehorse who I think his name was Ponder or Yonder or something like that. And that night he was poisoned in his stall. And a note was put underneath his door, you're next. Now, my father knew nothing about this. And by the way, neither did Frank until after the case. Um, my father got a frantic call from Harry Cohn at like six in the morning saying, come back to the studio, take your job and give Frank the part. And he never really understood why. Fade out. I turned 16 years old. It's 1964. And I'm constantly aware of Frank being around. You know, he was f still friendly with my mom and he had a, a relationship with my stepfather and I would get these elaborate gifts from him every birthday and every Christmas. And when I turned 16, I was called by his assistant and said, Frank wants to see you. Can you come to the house? And he only lived about 15 minutes from us at that point. So I drove up to his house in my 1962 Ford Galaxy. And Frank is standing out in front of his house, leaning on a brand new 1964 silver Corvette Stingray with a big ribbon around it. I drove in. He flipped me the keys and said, happy birthday, buddy. We're going to talk. Hmm. And we went in and he talked to me about my dad. And he said, look, I was in a lot of trouble. Your dad saved my career. You know, Frank won the Academy Award for that film um, for Best Supporting Actors. Your dad saved my career. He died very, very quickly after that. My father did within a few months after that whole experience happened. My dad passed away. And he said, he, he, I, I couldn't thank him properly, but I knew I could thank him through you. So you got the car. And from now on, I want you to consider me your godfather, which is very sacred in the Italian family. It's not exactly, you're a nice Jewish boy from Beverly Hills. So you can't really be a, an official godson, but you're going to be my unofficial. And I spent the next two or three years traveling a lot with Frank, hanging with Frank, having great experiences with him. And I can say without equivocation, I loved him so dearly. He was just wonderful to me. And Frank really had the reputation that if, if you're his enemy, look out. But if you're his friend, he's the best friend to have. And boy, was he ever. And that's the Sinatra story. Well, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Do you ever see Lauren or have contact with Lauren in your dreams? Yes. Um, but it's very interesting. Boy, it's very interesting you ask that question. I'm, I'm often aware that she has been there, but I don't remember a lot of my dreams consciously. And when I do, she's a part of them. Mm. But I don't remember a lot of dreams. Mm. Lauren's with me so much when I'm conscious that she may be doing that and not telling me and that I don't know which is okay with me too. What advice would you have for anybody listening who would love to receive communication from the other side from their loved one? Uh, yeah, and maybe the single most important question that we can address during this talk. I would say a couple of things. If you really believe 
in the possibility of that contact, there is nothing to stop you from having it. But you have to believe it. You know, people saying, you know, well, I'll see it when I believe it. And the saying really should be, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll, 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 I'll see it when I believe it. Um, you, I think you have to have some belief within you that that kind of contact is possible, which means you have to accept the concept of an afterlife and communication. And um, I think if you don't accept that, I think it's very difficult. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible because I don't want to put a blank check over everything, but I, I think it's very difficult. But if you have a belief system that allows for the possibility, um, trust your heart. You know, we talk so much in the book about trust your heart, trust your heart, listen to your heart, believe your heart. And people say, what the heck does that mean? And it's like, well, that's something that we're just, I think, beginning to find out. The emotional language of the heart. Our souls talk to us through our hearts because it's about feeling. And as we all know, there are feelings that you have that you really literally can't put into words for very good reason, because there are no words for it. There are brain, words are brain things, okay? This is a heart thing. Um, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to be able to reach out and understand it may not happen right away. It may not, but just to have faith. And most importantly, the contact, that initial contact may come in a way in which you least expect it. And when you do have that contact, you are almost certainly going to doubt whether it's real. And if you don't doubt it's real, then you're not really, I think, being honest with yourself. Um, I still have moments, very rare moments in which I think, geez, what if I am, what if this is, what if I believe this is true, but it's not really true? And I have no answer to that question, except to say my heart knows it is. And be attuned to hearing, feeling what that is like. And then you have to, you have to feel out that relationship yourself. Don't be afraid to speak out loud to your loved one. It's a very important thing, you know, speak out loud. It doesn't necessarily just be in your heart and in your head, make it a part of your life, make it a part of your intention. And I believe that it will happen. And, you know, look, there are Facebook groups and things like that that only deal with people who have had a loved one go to the other side. I, I always have to watch myself by saying lost a loved one because at one point or another, early on, I was saying that to people when they asked me, where's Lauren? What happened to Lauren? And I started saying, well, we lost her because I didn't like to say she was dead. I didn't like to say passed away. And there was a point after Lauren got in contact with me in which she very gently, but very firmly said, Hey honey, how about not telling people you lost me anymore? Cause I'm right here. Um, so be, just have faith that it is that loved one and trust your heart. What do you think That's about, the best I can say. what do you think about using the words? She has a new life now. What do you mean by that? Well, I had one of my NDE guests, I believe say that it's not that you die. You just transition to a new life. 
Oh, absolutely. I believe that. Oh, that, you know what? She has a new life now. That is beautiful. I've never heard that, Jeff. Well, I can't take credit for it. (laughs) Well, I'm going to give you credit for it because I heard it first from you. Um, That is absolutely beautiful. And you've given me something really precious for me to be able to say to people from this point forward. And that is exactly what I intend to do. Thank you. I'll say you're welcome. Like I said, I don't feel like I deserve the credit. Well, you said it to me. You know, an old joke is new if you haven't heard it before. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here and ask this. Sure. Since you made the movie with Robin Williams and he has a new life now, has he contacted you in any way? No. Okay. Not that I'm conscious of. Hmm. Not that I'm conscious of. Yeah. Okay. I just got a little bit of a chill and a little bit of a feeling that may very well be that he and Lauren have been in touch. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that until just then, but um, it's very possible that they have been, but no, he has not. And I have to say that Robin and I, we're not close friends. You know, when you make a film, you're together a lot for a very short period of time and uh, you're very focused. Dreams was a really difficult movie for Lauren, uh, for uh, uh, Robin, um, because of the emotions involved. You know, that's pretty heavy subject matter for, for him and for Annabella, who played um, his wife. Um, it was really challenging. And uh, I don't know if you remember, there's a scene in the movie where um, Robin has his character, Chris, is in a church giving a eulogy for his children who are in front of him in the church in two child-sized coffins. And I would say a third of our crew um, did their work in there, but then said, uh, we're out of here. We're not staying in here. This is just too weird. It's too eerie. It's too scary. We're out of here. And when Robin went up to actually do that, he brought pictures of his own children to put on the lectern. And it's one of his best moments in the film. But as I said, it's a challenge. That movie was an emotional challenge for everybody. uh, The actors very much included. What advice would you have for someone who has recently lost a loved one in their life and they're looking for some type of reassurance that their loved one is okay? You need to talk to people. You need to talk to people um, who have this experience, um, who can encourage you that you can have it as well. Um, You can certainly, um, and this is tricky. um, If you know a medium or if somebody can send you to a medium that has been battle tested Um, There are people who claim to be mediums who are not, um, which is unfortunate, but it does happen. But the ones that are battle tested that have been around for a while that other people have had experiences with, I was very fortunate in that um, Alison Dubois is a very dear friend. Um, You know who Alison is. It was, you know, a lot of people remember the the TV series Medium. that Patricia Arquette starred in for many years, that was based on Allison's life. 
and um, all the cases that she solved and the people that she talks to. And, you know, I, I would reach out to somebody like Allison if you can get somebody's recommendation. It doesn't have to be Allison. There are other people. I think that will absolutely help you. And as I said, there are Facebook groups and there are other social media things that you can do. Um, There's one particular group on Facebook about this that is only with people who have lost loved ones that have no intention of being with anybody else, um, which is really kind of a sign of soulmates. Um, You can reach out to that. Um, Go if you have one in your area, um, I'm thinking if you're in the Los Angeles area, go to Agape, um, which is an incredible spiritual church um, that ha- that I guarantee you, you'll meet other people that are having these experiences. And I think it's important for you to talk to people who have the experiences, who can then lead you to people that will help you have your own. My wife's from the Los Angeles area, so the next time I go out there, I need to check out that church. Agape? Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you something. Michael Beckwith, who is the uh, uh, head minister, pastor at at, uh, Agape, is one of the most dynamic spiritual um, speakers that uh, ever in the history of the planet. He's an amazing man. They have a fabulous music ministry there. Um, you know, it is close to Hollywood and there are a lot of people that you will, would recognize um, who are in that audience. And Michael is so loving and that music ministry, it's been years since I've been there, but it's a fantastic place. And there are other places like that around the country as well. But yes, if, if you are in LA and you want to go to an agape service, just make sure that the music ministry is working that Sunday. All right. Another one of your books is titled The Force is With You. I'm assuming that's a reference to Star Wars, and I believe the book is about quotes from other movies that are spiritual. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, After What Dreams May Come came out, I knew that I needed to spend the rest of my life making only films that had some kind of spiritual content, which is really not something that is welcome in Hollywood. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Um, That's why it took me 20 years to get dreams made. Um, And I was, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life at that point, because I knew I couldn't get those things done. I had met Neil Donald Walsh as a result of what dreams may come because we invited him and James Redfield and a bunch of other authors who had written books in this arena to the premiere of what dreams may come. And Neil and I became very dear friends. And (laughs) at one point I was discussing all this with Neil and he said, well, you know, you need to write a book about all these movies. I mean, you have a, a, a huge knowledge of the messages that you've gleaned from these movies. You've watched a lot of these things 10 or 15 times. And that's an understatement with some of them. Um, you need to write a book. And I'm like, Neil, you're the writer, not me. And we kept arguing about it. And he said, you need to write a book. You need to coin a phrase. So eventually that was spiritual cinema. But I kept saying, I, I'm not a writer, Neil. And finally, Neil said, you're going to write the damn book. You want to argue with my source? <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm done. I surrender. <laughs> I'll start to write the book. And that was the forces with you. And the drop line of that is mystical movie messages that uh, illuminate our lives and inspire our lives. And it is a bunch. 
it is a, 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 several films that have always inspired me about various aspects, uh, aspects of spirituality, because I think that filmmaking, Jeff, is, can be, can be, isn't often, but can be the modern day version of a shaman sitting around a campfire, passing on the culture and the beliefs and the stories and the myths to another generation. When films like It's a Wonderful Life get made, when a film like Ghost gets made, that has a real effect on people. I mean, it has a, a deep emotional effect and it allows people to start asking questions. And that's what we wanted to do with the book. And that was the, the very first book, The Force is With You. All right. Well, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how would they do that? Okay. Uh, again, thank you for that. I would suggest that people go to our website, whatdreamshavecome.com. Very simple. Whatdreamshavecome.com. The book itself is available exclusively on Amazon. And the Amazon link is there. The reason it's exclusive on Amazon is because we self-published it. Um, there was no way that any ma so-called mainstream publisher was going to pick up this book. And I knew that. I didn't want to waste the time trying. And we wanted to really be able to do this direct to the reader. So people can go there. And also uh, email information is there as well. Um, and as I say to people, if you do email me, if you do about your experiences, the only person that reads that email is me. I don't have an assistant doing it. It's me. And no one else will ever read that email. I give you my word. So you can be as open as you feel like you want to be. And I will absolutely respond to you. I will absolutely respond to you. I promise it may take a while for me to do that, depending on, on how many contacts I have, but I promise you, I will respond. And, um, you know, I hope you will. I hope you'll go to the website, buy the book and be in touch. Do you have any other projects that you're working on right now that you want us to know about? No, um, this is, I'm 75. This is the last project that I plan to take on that will, I, I will call a public facing project um, in this spiritual arena. I'm no longer involved in the film industry. I'm not going to be making any more movies. There may be another book um, or two, but there may not be. Um, and this is really going to be the focus of my life, which is why I am so grateful to you for giving me the opportunity to talk to your audience. As I said, this is not a mainstream book. This is a book that people, I hope, will be curious to read if they have a belief in this system uh, and if they have a belief that they want to know more about it and that people will talk to their friends about it because I want to get it as much exposure as we possibly can. And it's only going to come from word of mouth. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Love never dies. Well, Love can't die. Love won't die. Your love hasn't died. 
It is eternal. Well, that's a great message. Stephen, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you for asking me some questions that I haven't been asked before that really got me thinking. I I appreciate that. This is a lot of fun. And um, to all of your viewers who are going through experiences like this or have been through it, I just send you a big hug and much love. Thank you and have a great day over there. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.